Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. I've spoken here often about my process of researching the afterlife and the greater reality over decades, a total of five decades. Eventually, there came a time, and I guess it was maybe 15 years ago, when I had learned, I think, maybe 95, 96% of what I ever was going to learn, and I had a pretty detailed picture of a gigantic reality, and it all fit together, and it made sense. And soon thereafter, I wrote The Fun of Dying and began what I think of as the teaching phase of my life. I thought there wasn't much new under the sun, actually. But then two years ago, I discovered that there really was something new, and this is a lot of fun. I had a pretty confirmed opinion about both mainstream science and mainstream Christianity, especially Catholicism, as set in their dogma-driven ways and really not caring about any of the amazing things that we were learning about the greater reality. And then along came Father Nathan Castle. Nathan has been a Dominican priest for more than four decades. He lives and works in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson. So it's hard to imagine anyone who is a more traditional Catholic than our dear Father Nathan. However, he's a gentle and very spiritual man, and just over 20 years ago, he was recruited by elevated beings, who are not in bodies, we we know all about them, to do spiritual rescue work. Imagine that. One of the many things I've learned because of my friendship with the wonderful Mikey and Carol Morgan is that Close to 25%, and he says maybe even a hair more than 25% of those who die will go off track for a time. And we know from many hundreds of completed deaths that there is a very uniform post-death process. It's, By the way, just parenthetically, it's nothing like the tunnel and light and all the various things that happen in near-death experiences. They have nothing to do with actual death. They can turn into death if the experiencer chooses, but... They aren't part of the normal death process. However, even though there's a very uniform process, if you leave at a planned exit point, there are people, as we know, who leave in accidents, they leave by murder, they leave uh, in all kinds of suicide ways that were not planned, and it's not an exit point. And some people leave because they're, you know, distressed. They're they feel bad, and and they're they're uh, they're not. They don't feel as if they really are presentable for God. I guess is the best way to put it. So even people who had died at a normal exit point can go off track. A lot of people go off track. Most of them are rescued pretty quickly, but the rescuing is the hard part. There's, otherwise, until people are rescued, they're in a kind of limbo, and we'll talk about that today. Before I met Father Nathan Castle, I knew a lot about spirit rescue work. I even had experimented with learning how to do it under the tutelage of the late, great rescue expert, Bruce Moen. Bruce was one of the first explorers who worked with Bob Monroe of the Monroe Institute. And uh, the Monroe Institute, I can't say enough good things about. They're, they're wonderful. But Bob Monroe had taught Bruce how to do rescue work, and he was still doing it just before he died. And I took a course with him, and I rescued a very, very old lady because she actually had died in the 
18th century. But that's another story. I knew rescue work, but I had no idea that a priest could do it. And then along came our wonderful friend, Father Nathan. In 2019, I read his first book. It's called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. And I was astounded and thrilled and delighted by it. It's completely consistent with what I'd learned in doing decades of afterlife research. And uh, frankly, uh, I I wish I had known him long before. There have been now, this is our third time talking. There, we, we've, I think there has, was a second, I can't even remember what we talked about the second time, but it's in the archive. But there now is a new book called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Crossed Over, Only the Stuck Part is Crossed Out. We'll ask Father Nathan about that. This is his third appearance with us on Seek Reality, and I'm so happy to say that I there I in this second book actually is even better perhaps than the first because there I learned more from it. The first I was just plain astounded by. So let's find out what's going on in Father Nathan's life. Welcome Nathan. I'm so glad to have you back with us. Well it's great to be with you. And I'm gonna interview you before we're over with. I want to hear what you <laughs> what you enjoyed about book two. Um but but thanks for having me on. Uh like so many people, the pandemic you know, shut down my normal life a little more than a year ago, coming on a year and a month. Uh, And much of the work that I was doing involved travel uh, and giving talks uh, before different audiences. But then, you know, that shut down with uh, the pandemic. So for everybody, it did. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what it did is provide me with a lot more uh, leisure and uh, nowhere to go. (laughs) So (laughs) I had lots and lots of notes of crossings i do about one a week and only 13 were in that first book so it gave me the opportunity to get started on the next book that that, uh, this one came out in late november right right um yeah and are you going to keep there's no reason you would stop this right this is something that your superiors are comfortable with everybody is happy with and because you're doing you're really doing god's work quite literally I've been very pleased. I had reticence about, you know, I'm a lifelong Catholic, and I I knew very well that this could be upsetting to some folk, and it has been, but only around the edges. And my main um, obedience inside the church, I'm a Dominican, and so I have a vow of poverty, chastity, obedience, and my obedience is uh, formally paid to my provincial in the Western United States. And uh, we elect our leaders, and One was going out of office. He approved of the first book. A new one came in and approved of the second book. (laughs) I love it. So it's you know the work is is uh, peculiar, but we also in the in the Catholic tradition have a long mystical tradition. uh, Yes, really all the way back to the resurrection and even before that. Um, So uncommon uh, phenomenological things is part of the tradition, and I've just tried to be faithful to what my experiences are and record them, share them. I was a Protestant for 25 years, and then I was a Catholic for 25 years by marriage, So, and, but very serious about it. So um, I have come to believe that actually Catholicism and the Catholic you know, clergy are more open to this sort of thing than our Protestants, because the Protestants are very dogma-driven, whereas the Catholics sort of Seem, you know, I mean, the, the the Virgin shows up with with at, at Lourdes, and everyone says, "Great, there she is." It's not a big deal. Whereas, 
anything supernatural seems to be creepy to um, the Protestants. So, you know, good for you. You're out, you're with the winning team, and I just I just love the work you're doing. It's well, wonderful. Well, I love the work, too. And, and I, it's not as though it's the only thing I do. I'm a priest, and I say masses and hear confessions and bury the dead and stuff. I do a lot yeah. of that. I'm teaching a couple of online scripture studies, and but um, but this work has not been uh, uh, sanctioned. I'm able to do what I need to do. This is great. Well, what I'd like to do I, is something which I don't think we did as much last time because I was so fascinated with the stories. Um, and I was, I'm fascinated with these stories, too. There are some we want to get to. But first, I'd like to just sort of talk about the process. You call this an interrupted death experience. That would, would tell the people what that means to you, what those words mean to you. Yeah, I did that on purpose because people, many people are familiar with the phrase near-death experience. Right, right. Going all the way back to Raymond Moody and Life After Life in the mid-70s. Right. And, and uh, IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, has popularized the notion and organized uh, groups that are a little bit like an AA group, something uh-huh. local. Uh, where anybody can walk in the door and is welcome to tell their story and so on. Um, so I wanted it to. I wanted what I do to find a home next to the near-death experience, because I thought that was a uh, that was something that had entered into common parlance. So, uh, it, 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 which is great, and I I think it's a very it's a very suitable you know set of words to describe what actually happens, which is, which is important. Um, I had Raymond as, as a guest once and he, uh, in fact, maybe twice. Um, I, I, because there is some confusion among the, the, the public about, you know, is this really how death is? You know, you're going to see a tunnel in light. No, it's death is a totally different thing. And I, I said to, to, uh, um, uh, Raymond, do, do you, are, are you, aren't people confused by it? He said, they shouldn't be. I t- I knew it was not real death, and that was not because that's why I called it, you know, a near death experience. So he was very clear on the fact that it wasn't actual death. This is not actual death quite either. However, you don't come back. You you do the first part, which is leaving the body, but then you don't do the second part, which is going to where the dead are. It's a very interesting phenomenon and when i first found out it could be 25 percent or more of the people who die i realized we really had to do something about this what you're doing is so important but talk about the process because it's interesting i mean you they they found you to do this work this is not something you sought it seems to me based on the stories yes correct and and in the first of the two afterlife interrupted books i spend some time at the beginning introducing myself and how it all started but the the base, but the, the simple explanation is I've been taught to pray without ceasing. You know, St. Paul said to pray without ceasing. And I was taught as a little boy how to pray before going to sleep and to consecrate my sleep so that uh-huh. God talked to me in the night. You know, like St. Joseph have all, having all these dreams about, you know, uh, take the baby and go into Egypt and so on. You know, yes. there's a rich tradition of, uh, of dream communication in the Jewish and Christian scriptures. Right. And then I entered into the Dominican order where semi-contemplative and the last prayer of the night is called Compline, which is from the word complete. And the idea that when the day is done and when you're about to go unconscious, you surrender your your un, your, your consciousness into the hands of the Holy Spirit. Right. 
and say, essentially, you know, I'm yours morning, noon and night. I'm not going to need my consciousness for the next eight hours. So would you hang on to it for me? <laughs> yeah, enjoy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Fight with it if you want. And so uh, it happened that about 22 years ago, um, I had my first of my night visitors where someone came in a dream and presented uh, a violent, uh, awful death. I knew right away it wasn't my dream material. I woke up from it. I wrote it down. I found a prayer partner the next morning, and uh, we discovered that it was a, a soul who uh, had died some years earlier uh, and who needed some help. Now, you, you have these prayer partners. They always are working with you. And the sense I get is because then that allows you to have one or the other of you channel this person who then can talk to you or to your prayer partner. Explain that yeah. a little bit. Um, well, in fact, I was just doing that just, just in the, within the last hour. Much That's had to be done on Zoom because I haven't been able to be with, with other people very oh, much. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, it's just fine, you know, uh, on technology. Um I, I go in. First of all, we do a, a, a very concentrated, uh, protective prayer. I yep. I say to people where where spirit uh, activities are concerned, it's not safe to pick up hitchhikers on this plane or on any other right. I know of. And right. before before moving into uh, spiritual uh, realms, it's important to call on. I use Michael the Archangel, who's uh-huh. common across a lot of different cosmologies and religious systems. Right. Uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, is a friend of mine. I always include her and St. Dominic, who's the founder of the order I'm in, and a bunch of others. And I include my own parents who passed. And anyways, uh, the angels, my guardian. I surround myself and my partner uh, with a sort of, kind of a holy huddle, if you will. Imagine yourself <laughs> encircled by light and, and goodness and truth uh, and people who would you know have your back and uh, do what they could to prevent any uh, interference. And then uh, I... I read the story that I wrote down. I wrote. I write these stories down as I receive them. So they often so the, come. This is the dream. The, then you you read the dream as as part of the start of the process. Yes, I do. First, I use a little app on my phone that records. Um, so I get. A, I have a recording of the session. Uh-huh. And, um, I I specifically don't use the word channel, even though uh, I think it's a benign word. But in my religious community. Uh, it has overtones of, of darkness that uh, I, so I just uh, I just say I'm allowing my voice to be used. Yes, <laughs> I see that. Yes, yeah, that's what you say in the book, right? And, and and I'm a Dominican, and we're the order of preachers, and so preaching is a largely vocal activity. So uh-huh. I, my body was consecrated to I laid on the floor of St. Albert's Priory in Oakland many years ago gave my whole life over to the preaching project. And so allowing my voice to be barred for a little while, I don't think is inconsistent with my whole life. Of course, of course, of course. But but that makes this a, a very efficient process because one of you is actually talking to the other. Um, yeah. And the and but the other voice is being used by someone who is not in body and who basically has has summoned you. You know, help me, help me. I guess is what they're yeah. saying, although and, they don't use those and, words. And they and even uh, even summoning, I'm not commanded to do anything against my will. Right. I'm not. I'm not unconscious. I'm not in any kind of a um, state where I'm unaware of what's happening. I'm free to stop. Um, uh, 
And sometimes things interrupt. Someone comes to the door in the, in the middle of it. <laughs> I have to get up and answer the door. Yeah. Or, but, but, but when your voice is being used, you're, you're aware of what's being said, right? It's not yeah, you don't yeah. have to go into trance or something. Okay, that, no. this is just they, so they often, easy. They borrow, and, they borrow my vocabulary, too, and sometimes you'll hear them say – some of them are people that were, died in their teens or whatnot. Yeah. And, right. and I have a very big vocabulary. It was an interest of mine as a child. I was into spelling bees and etymologies and stuff so language and words has always been a love of mine so i have a i use a lot of words that other people might not use or don't know the meaning of it so sometimes they'll say i've never used that word before but it's available well, to me. And, and then there was there was someone in, in this book um i think it may have been the fellow who uh was a muslim who said you know i don't even speak english i don't but i seem to be able to speak english now because yeah, yeah, he was not- using your voice yeah fun very much fun to even <laughs> To even read this stuff is a lot of fun because everyone, I assure you, this is all absolutely accurate. This is this is true. Um, I'm very skeptical by nature of anything new, and I have to say, I'm. This is a natural continuation of the sorts of things that they have been doing at the Monroe Institute and in other places, and there there's certainly a desperate need for it. Some of these people have been dead for a while, though, haven't they? Yes, most of the ones that I deal with have died uh, in the last century or even in the last 60 years, maybe. I'm 65 now. Yeah. So most of them are people that have died either while I've been alive or not too much earlier than that. But once in a while, you'll get people that go back even longer than that. So it it seems from reading your books that these people have had a very active sort of process during this time and they're outside of time there is no time where they are although they seem to you know be enough aware of what's going on that that they have a sense of process but they they will they'll group gather in groups of people who died in similar ways i mean people everybody a bunch of people who fell a bunch of people some people who committed suicide will will group together mm-hmm. um does it fascinate you to sort of better understand what they've been up to during this time and they've, as they've gotten their act together and felt ready to go on? Yes. And, you know, because you've read the books, you know that they they often will tell us in quite a lot of detail about what they remember as they left the body and yes. where they went and so on. But one of the, the commonalities is some sort of afterlife um Healthcare continuum. Explain that healthcare. Well, well uh, think of all the many ways that you and I and your listeners access healthcare. Yes. Uh, I, you know, I just qualified for Medicare, so I just had to go through a bunch of different things that they require. Yes. Uh, and so there's, um, you know, some things are emergency, others. Um, you your your needs might be multiple or they might be simple anyway people end up landing somewhere after they're out of body where whatever it is they need is provided them and yes a lot of, whatever a lot of them go unconscious at, at the time of their physical death and the leaving of the body and they can't tell you, you know, just as so you know people who are in traffic accidents today Will have the, a lot of things will have happened after their accident that they have no recall of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, some they might even be told that they were talking in the ambulance and have no idea. Yeah. Of, right. Of whatever happened. Right, so right. states of consciousness at at the moment of trauma or at at, at subsequent to trauma can vary. 
But but the people that I deal with all did leave their bodies and were not able to go back in. Their bodies didn't accommodate them any longer. So they they physically went through at least that part of death. They they left the body. Uh, but then after that, they land in something like intensive care. Sometimes yes. they move through the continuum, like from intensive care into something, uh, not really surgery, but but somewhere where they're triaged and then they're moved to a place. Uh, and then maybe uh, after that, they've, they heal to a point where they can go to something like a private room. And yes. I feel like my partners and I are the discharge staff. Yes, that's right. It's true. That's actually the way it is. Yeah. They they're ready now to to go to the next stage of life. One of the most striking things about your books and about everything else I have learned is that there's no judgment. Nobody they killed themselves. They did their um I remember Dwight, I still even remember his name from the first book, yeah. who was, was appalled at the way he had died because it was what sadomasochistic sex or something and he died that way and and you know i mean he, how can you appear before god when you when you have done that and that's how you died no judgment of the of the poor man who came to help him everyone can say it together jesus himself came to help dwight because dwight needed big help he got big help that's i mean it. that to me is the, one of the most beautiful stories i've ever read yeah beautiful and and um, Jesus came to Dwight as something like a hospital chaplain. Yes. Who didn't yeah. come in with charts and uh, metrics of any kind, just came in like a nice visitor and didn't stay too long and said, I'll be back again to visit again. And eventually he said, did you ever see a crucifix? Uh, and he said, well, I was that guy. And that, I, that, that guy. <laughs> I love it. And uh, Dwight had died naked. Yeah, uh, and his murderer, and uh, Jesus said, uh, "Did you know that there wasn't a loincloth that day? No, no. I, yeah, all yeah. of me was on display along a public street, and my mom and her friends were there, and yeah, you know, and they put he, the poor Dwight had died of uh, having sharp metal things pushed into his lungs. Oh and, God! Oh. Uh, uh, and Jesus said, uh, you know, they put sharp metal in me too. <laughs> but here we are." Isn't that an extraordinary story? I mean, but that is perfectly typical of of what Jesus was, who Jesus is, and typical of the truth of life after death, because there is no judgment there. Jesus even says it right in the Gospels. He says God doesn't judge anybody. He says it right in the Gospels, and it's so true. And that's the beautiful thing about what you do in showing a little bit of the process with these people, and they tell their stories. The stories are all so respectful of them. Yeah. They're being treated with such love, with such kindness, with such deference, with such protectiveness. No, it's it's. If you everyone, if you're if you want to be reassured that there's no way you can d- divorce yourself from the love of God, read these read these books because over and over there are people who are sure they have, and uh, and they haven't. God is right there to love them, and if you need big help, Jesus will show up. Great. When people are aware story. that they uh, that they feel I owe a debt to someone, yes, uh, um, they often bring it up and are told that's noble. Uh, it's just not timely yet. We'll let you know when it's time to you know seek out that person that you harmed or yes, like people have been the driver uh, of a yes. multi fatality accident. Yes, I remember him. Yeah, sorry, but 
that very often uh, I'm only dealing with this one little subset. I'm not giving a guided tour of the afterlife. I'm just dealing with the ones that come to me and they're people that went through trauma at the end yes. and need this specific help. Um, but very often they're ready to make amends and are told, well, that's part of what this process is about. We're going to get you onto the next level and then the resources that you'll need to assist yes. with that be available. Oh, my word. That's so beautiful. I, it really is. The love and care that exists for each of one, each of us, the, pre, the preciousness and with, with which each of us is held yes. by God and by God's minions is just beyond anything anyone can imagine. Because our religions basically teach us we're sinful. I don't think God sees that sin. God sees just only love. It's just beautiful. Yes. So, all right, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about then, they, they come to you, and what, what seems to be consistent is that they, they, they're ready, one of the persons says sort of ready, but they're, but they're ready-ish to move yes. on. There's, they, how do they know they're ready? What, what, what is there, you watch them grow, so you're, you get their stories of growth. What, what is it that makes them decide they're ready to, to try, try the next stage? Well, remember, I only meet them when they show up in a dream. Right. They've already been vetted that they are ready, even right. if they're fully convinced of it. Um, there are a lot of things like that in life where some people um, need, are very risk averse and they're not going to do a thing until way a process is way down the line that they're absolutely sure they can do it. Others will just sort of jump in and try. And if there's that same element is in here. Uh, there, there's some like minimal threshold that needs to be met. But then once they're there, some take to it, you know, like a fish to water and others uh, just move through it a little more slowly or cautiously. It takes more time. Yeah. Just a, a couple of things, everyone, just to, to make sure that you understand and you're sort of with our, with our program here. Why do some people just, they can't go back to their bodies? This isn't a near-death experience. This is a, they fell out of a tree, whatever. The body is sufficiently damaged. But the thing that makes death irrevocable is that the silver cord breaks. Now, the silver cord is an energy cord that attaches our body to the, you know, who we really are, the eternal being that we truly are. And the words silver cord come from the Bible. Uh, there are instances in the Bible where people have seen the silver cord. Um, but this is what, this is why people can go, go back after near-death experience. They've been floating around having a great time in the astral plane, but they have not gone to where the dead are. If you go to where the dead are, you don't come back out again. Mm -hmm. So once these people have, the silver cord has broken, they, for whatever reason, the body usually because the body is totally not viable, they are still alive. You can't kill yourself. But this is why suicide is so counterproductive because no matter what you do, you can't kill your mind. I mean, that your soul is eternal, truly eternal. Yeah. But then they they tend to congregate. They they tend to. There's there was one um, lovely situation where someone really was afraid to leave the death scene. Didn't want to go anywhere else. Just wanted the piece of the death scene. And so the, the the beings helping him or her, I can't remember. I think it was a man. Um, said, you know, we can move this same exact scene to the next level, and then you'll be more comfortable there. Something like that. Yeah. I think um, Talking about another one of the people that died in a call. I think that's uh, Derek. Maybe, yeah. I, I don't remember their names, and I, I tend not to take notes um, yeah. because I sort of figure, you know, you you know who the people are, and if I can remember the bits, then that's probably all I need to do. But but um, 
did, did most of them do that? They move to a to a, a place which is at the next level, but it's still not where the afterlife is, and they're tended there, rather than staying in the same field or the same building where they died. I haven't. Uh, that was Daniel. I, I called him Daniel. Oh, who, okay. Who, yeah. Who was ready enough? That chapter. Yes, that's. I remember. He said. I, he said. I don't. Find, I, I guess I'm at least ready enough. So I said, yeah. okay, we can okay. work. With uh, he he did stay in the field. He was on an outing with his fraternity. Uh, he was a junior in college, right? And, uh, in a fall, uh, in a, a athletic contest, and uh, yeah. yep. and he just was so horrified at all of it that he wanted it to all go away, and he let it leave him. And he just stayed in the field where everybody else went to the hospital or to the police or to the morgue or back to campus. Yeah, <laughs> he just right. And then eventually, his guardian said, "You know." You don't need to sit here and do this. We can move this to the next plane. Yes. Um, and, and they did that, right? I mean, that, that is. Yeah, that helped him for a while until he really didn't need that any longer. Yeah. No, this is this is a very life affirming. Both books are very life affirming in that human life really is eternal. It, 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 this is not just a, a, a slogan. It's impossible for your mind to die. And after death, I mean, we there are occasions where unconscious, like when when you're sleeping, as Father Nathan, you know, was talking about sleeping and dreaming and stuff. Your mind is doing other things, and and you're you're you think you're sort of unconscious. After death, usually there's a period of sleep if it's a normal death. After that, you just don't ever even sleep again. You're not ever unconscious. And I think that's a very important and powerful thing for people to take from these books. These people have, in in some cases, complicated their lives by dying in, in this whatever awkward way it was that put them off track for a time. But it's just like in life. You know, let's say you had a bad day. You got to deal with some things. You, you you go, your life just goes on. Isn't it beautiful that your life goes on and there's always help and there's always love? Yes. And there's the opportunity to start over uh, for people for whom this life didn't go well. Right. Um, uh, I try to stay very close. My, my undergraduate training was in sociology. And in the social sciences, you're supposed to be observers of events and then reporters of what you observed. Yes, that's kind of the the, uh, the 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 methodology of the social sciences, and so I I try to just relate to my reader what I experienced, and then I try not to extrapolate a lot. I just try to just put the data out there, and so in ions and on podcasts like your own, and circulating it among people interested in consciousness studies and near death and death and yes. afterlife. We have so many different cosmologies and understandings of what comes next. And even though I'm a Catholic priest, I don't try to come at this from any um, uh, anything other than a kind of a reporting of what I've experienced. I, I think that's one reason your books are so good, because you are a very good reporter. And, and nothing – you're very unflappable, too. Nothing seems to um, upset you or, you know, make you uh, uncomfortable about uh, – things i think i'd be too excitable to do what you do i'm sometimes told that people have to look for a pulse that that i'm pretty calm but and, that's what it takes i think to do what you do i really do because uh, they need that calmness they need that strength they that do all of the people that i and my partners deal with have been traumatized yep. by the time they get to us they're not in the 
height of it, but then some of them are have been in a um, a trauma loop similar to what happens to people in PTSD. Yes. They haven't been on a battlefield in years, but they, they relive it. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And people, a lot of people who have been murdered uh, or who, especially people that saw the something that could kill them that did kill them. Oh, yeah. That they saw the 18-wheeler cross the center line before the head-on collision. And, oh, uh, and so they have a flash of terror and then somehow stay in it. And those those need to move through that. And, of course, I don't get them at the front end. That's what I mean. There's been a healthcare care yes. that precedes me and my partners. But when they do get to the threshold of where they are able to leave that enough, th- those people usually are taught how to leave the trauma loop for a little while, like to take a break from it. Yes, really good. And then go back to it if they need to, if they feel like I, that you just have to do that. Well, you know, can you stop for just a minute? We'll do this other thing. And if you need to go back to that, well, then OK. Wow. But then they kind of learn that you, it, it really there is some volition. It isn't doesn't have to be like an addiction. Uh, you really do have the ability to choose to not be thinking that. Now, uh, for pe- for people who have had a loved one die in an accident, a couple things you should know. Number one, an accident can be a planned exit point, which means that, uh, you know, the guides will be right there, loved ones will be right there, it'll be easily conveyed to the next level, and they won't have to go through any of this. It's only the true accidents, which we are told are ra- more rare, um, with, that can end this way. But it's also pe- people who, who die on a deathbed and feel really guilty about something can can also decide that they just don't want to face God right now. And it's always optional. Your loved ones will try to take you home right away, but you don't have to go home. So if you have a loved one who died in an accident, just be aware that even if they didn't go right home, what we're talking about today is a process that all, everybody who dies this way has uh, an opportunity to, to be cared for. Um, it may not be Father Nathan that who eventually helps them go the last part of the way. It may be one of the people Bruce Moen has trained with the, in the Explorers program. There are a lot of people who do this rescue work. And people have heard of Ian Stevenson. Dr. Ian Stevenson of the University of Virginia um, did some research on reincarnation of the very specific case of people who had had a... Um, uh, a traumatic death. Usually, um, they were murdered or, uh, or really, really bad. And um, those people were so traumatized they didn't go anywhere, and they eventually, apparently, just entered uh, a, a pregnant woman and went into the fetus and had another lifetime. That's not normal reincarnation. But I've looked extensively at his work because it's fascinating, and that seems to be yet another way that people's life can go on, even if they kind of get totally off track. So life goes on. Your loved ones are fine, and they're going to go. Eventually, you'll see them in the next level. But uh, yes, and you're not in charge of their next thing. Sometimes I get what uh, a very uh, important point that is. Say it again. Uh, you're not in charge of what happens next to your loved ones. That's true. sometimes people feel guilty about the way that their loved one died, or what did or didn't happen, and or they'll have some sort of dream visitation or some experience that might feel ghost-like or something. They'll have some yes. psychological contact thing, and they then they, but it's vague, and then they're worried that mama isn't at peace, 
and it must oh, be because, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't make my bed, or it's, I, I, it could be anything. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, they, I don't know, they, they sometimes, then they'll kind of contact me with worry, uh, like, help me because my mother's not at rest, and I need to somehow get her to rest, and when I deal with that, you know, I just try to listen and calm people down and and just say, you know, you'll, she'll hear you if you pray to her, but take a deep breath. This isn't your responsibility. <laughs> You're one life to the customer, at least one at a time. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Um, let's let's talk about the suicides. Um, you you single out two specific suicide uh, victims in in your book, uh, in the second book, and. This is a question I get often, and you may as well, you know, uh, oh, he killed himself. Is he okay? How could he be okay? God would be mad at him. He killed himself. They, they, those suicide victims were not judged at all. Tell, uh, to talk about B. I mean, poor B. She had a horrible life. Yeah, and B she is sweetheart. Uh, she, um, she, uh, if your audience can imagine um, uh, old movies or newsreels or something of the big band era where yeah. – there would be a female lead singer, uh, and then all the boys in the band were, uh, you know, playing clarinets and horns and so on. Um, yeah. She was she was recruited at eighteen off the farm, and she was brought in and, and thought worthy of being moved along in this kind of a chain of of people that were finding you know talent, and she was put into this group. And at first, they only did really things close to her, her home. And then they began to go further away such that overnight stays and were involved. They had her put up with with uh, dorm mothers or, you know, some matronly woman running a, a, a board and care place or something. Anyway, eventually she was in hotel rooms and she found that the the, uh, the guys in the band had keys to her room and just oh, came Lord. themselves yeah. to her. She, she'd never had sex. And uh, and didn't know really hardly anything about it until she was just kind of passed around. And she just found that if she just submitted, it was over faster and they would leave. Yeah. And the next morning she would just try to pretend nothing had ever happened until she turned up pregnant. And she couldn't have had any idea by whom. And uh, then she was she didn't even want to ask anyone, any woman that had actually had a baby she just decided she needed to end things before she showed. Um, yes. And she, there was a, there were guns around and she, um, she, 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 I asked her, I said, how do you be, how do you even, des- what language do you use to describe uh, suicide? And she said, nobody's ever asked me that. And I said, well, <laughs> I, <laughs> and I said, well, she said, um, I took matters into my own hands. Yeah. That was her phrase. That was the only way out. Oh my goodness! No, I. You're right. She was very, very touching. Very. It was hard not to feel very tremendous sympathy. She never had a chance in life, but she was not judged. I mean, here is this woman who could very well have thought, "Oh God, never doesn't want me now." I mean, I've been passed around, and um, I felt I had to do it because otherwise I couldn't be in the band, and my family didn't want me back. And I mean, she. She's just a massive sort of guilt and, and remorse about everything. And then she kills herself. God doesn't want me now. Oh, yes, God does. God loves you infinitely no matter what you've done. Well, she didn't want any part of being in a book if I was going to shame her religiously. 
Oh, yes. But I wouldn't, I have, <laughs> that's the last thing in the world I'd want to do. No, no. She, she said to me, um, do you, you know, I always ask permission of these people if I go, if I'm going to use their story publicly. Yes. Many of them never are public. I just store them on my computer, on the hard drive. I, yeah. I take recordings and I clean them up. I edit them a little bit and store them. Um, and I think this is interesting enough that maybe somebody along the line will want to study it and I'll have it all ready for some research. And stuff You're very meticulous, I have to say. No, it, it, it is it is wonderful that you have taken such good care to preserve this record because, yes, I'm sure in future days there will be people who will want to, to, to do more research. Well, I'm but trying to leave a good it's, trail. It's so you know? beautifully already. That's what I love. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just excited well, if, about what you're doing. If there ever were somebody – I I, I I haven't been, yet been involved with the Monroe Institute or any of the centers of study at universities that are doing consciousness studies. And it yeah. might be that in the last year, uh, COVID, you know, put in another pause year in there. But I'm, I'm hoping I'm only 65. Maybe I'm around here quite a while longer. I don't know. But if I am, I'd like to be working with people researching consciousness. And, uh, and I'm going to have a body of material to bring to the table. Big time. Yes. Very well done. Uh, we're, we're coming toward the end of our time. What do you want people to take away from today? People who are listening to us, what do you hope they take away and remember? Well, there are both things to know about the afterlife, and then it's also a mystery. And we don't need to sleuth out every last detail of everything. And if you get involved in this area of study, you'll be around a lot of people who understand and believe things differently than you do. But you just listen respectfully to what they have to say. And if you're called upon, like you've called upon me today, when it's time to speak your piece, say what you have to say. Yeah. And then another is that, yeah, love uh, is it's love is the big thing here and hereafter. Um, do everything you can to love enemies. Pray for your persecutors. <laughs> yes. Uh, peace with all people. But, the, you know, the, the universal tradition that's underneath good religion, whatever the religion um of loving one another uh, is critical, and love doesn't die. It, it really doesn't. L- love doesn't die, and neither do we. No, it's we impossible can't. to die. Um, I, I, someone uh, I counseled for a little while, years, years ago, um, who was a friend, the son of a friend, and and said that he really thought he wanted to kill himself. I told, I told her, take him to someplace else. I'm not a counselor. She said he wants to talk to you. What I said to him was, I'll tell you the only problem with killing yourself. Yeah, it, it seems appealing on the outside, but you can't kill your mind. You can't. You actually are more alive even because you can't kill your mind. You're more alive almost after you kill yourself than before. And but you can't fix anything because you now you can make amends to people. You you know as you say, people people want to apologize. They want to make amends. They want to fix things. You can do that now that you're in a body. When you're not in a body, you can't even do that. So it don't. The only way you can make your situation worse is by killing yourself. But the beauty is, if you do that, God still loves you. God loves you no matter what. And Nathan, you are doing such a wonderful job for people. Bless you, sir. I should say your 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 uh, website is nathan castlecom It'll be in the notes to the to the um, program too. Yeah. But please, please consider yourself hugged, my dear. It has to be a virtual hug because of COVID. But I am so so glad to know you. What you're doing is so beautiful. Maybe in the year ahead, we actually meet. That would be very nice. You, well, you as you know, Austin, in Metro Austin, don't you? I, yes, in Austin. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. why come come to Austin? I would love it. Oh, that would be great. I would I love would to visit. Yeah. So, but meanwhile, everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Don't you just love this? I just love what I do. This is. Um, I should have to pay a lot of money to do this, and actually, it, I don't. It's like free. I get to have these wonderful experiences with people like you, Father. Beautiful experiences. Uh, likewise. It was a joy to be with you again. This has been Seek Reality, and I am so glad we're with you as well. Everyone listening, please consider yourself hugged, hugged too, because we are all in this together, and what we're in is truly beautiful. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, and you never will end. And when you really get what it means to, to, to be able to say that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be the amazing Sandra Champlain, who will be with us for the 10th time. I've known Sandra for something like eight years now. She first contacted me when her book had just come out. It's called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And we had dinner in the Boston area. And what a lovely person I thought she was even then. And she has flown since then. She has done so much. I've done all this research and then written books. She wrote this book out because she wasn't satisfied reading other people's, you know, uh, experiences. She wanted to experience everything, and she still does. So she learned how to be a medium. She learned instrumental transcommunication. She learned all of that because she was devastated at the death of her cherished father, and she had to know he was okay, and she convinced herself. Of course he is, just as everyone we have ever loved who has gone ahead is okay, is just fine. And then she went ahead and started really teaching all of this. She's a generation younger than I am, and I consider her to be my successor. There's no one else I would want to carry on this work as much as I want Sandra to do it. And because of COVID, her sort of day job has kind of gone away, and now she's doing this work full time. And every time I contact her, she's full of ideas and things she's doing, and so next week she's going to kind of give us a catch-up on what's new in her life um please join us you're as you if you know sandra at all you know she's a dynamo and she has exciting things to share so please be sure to join us next week and this week we've been speaking with the wonderful father nathan castle he's been our seek reality guest for the third time but he'll be back i hope he does another book soon but he'll be back anyway you may have noticed that some of our guests come back repeatedly and in each of these cases it's because we've found someone wonderful who has the special skills, special knowledge, expertise in some area that many of our listeners are eager for, and they can sell it well. As you can hear listening to Father Nathan, he's this is not his first time talking about all of this. He's very skilled at this. So um, I just like listening to him, frankly. He will be back. He'll be on to, uh, again in another six months or nine months or whatever. He and I will talk about that. My husband is the most Catholic person almost on the face of the earth. As you can imagine, that's a little strange for him being married to me. But he loved Father Nathan's first book, and now he has Father Nathan, Nathan's second book on his lamp table. Um, so there are areas where people can, even if we're very different, on very different spiritual paths, we can come together. And Father Nathan also does that for us, which is a wonderful thing. His books are both called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Suck Stuck Souls Crossover, except for the second book, it's Helping Souls Cross Over. And he, he believes, and I think this is probably true, that, that um, you know, everybody 
find some way to get rescued and go home. This is There is so much love and care given to each of us when we're out of our bodies, if we are at all you know, off track, that all of us are going to get to go home. He's been doing this work for more than 20 years, and he's only 65. I hope he does it for another 25 at least, because there is a tremendous need for it. And um, the Bruce Bowen said he wanted me to do it all day and night after he taught me to do it. I've never done it since. I have other things I've got to do. But there really is there really is a tremendous need, and it's beautiful that he's doing this so well. I have to say, too, and I'll say this again, I'm astonished that the Catholic superiors allow, not only allow this, but encourage it. So it has, frankly, changed my whole opinion about Catholicism, which I have been cranky with love-hate relationship a little bit. Now I, I just think it's wonderful that they're encouraging Father Nathan to do this amazing, beautiful work. This is where Catholicism is heading, and it's, and it's glorious. When you read Father Nathan's books, I just want you to know, I've been researching this all my life. Everything in them is real. There's None of this is anything but real, and I think that's very important, too. My own nonfiction books are, of course, Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and soon The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. For young children, there's The Fun of Meeting Jesus, which is a beautiful picture book, and it's totally unreligious, so it's not related to any religion. It just, It's just, frankly, the, the, the Lord teaching our children to love one another and, and to the fact that they are so perfectly loved. You can find all these books either in bookstores or on Amazon, and, of course, the adult books are also available as audiobooks. If you ever want to contact me about anything, just go to the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. Send me an email. I will answer your email. Now I'm, I think, four days behind or something, but I periodically will catch up. And so if it takes a few days before you hear from me, um, if it's a week, send me another one. It just means that I didn't You have the right email address for you because I do answer every email. Meanwhile, we've come to the end of our time, and this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one great reality, where God is the, all, is the very air we breathe, even though we're not aware of it, and our lives are eternal. Please always know every moment that you are a powerful, you are an eternal being, and you in particular are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.